Well, uh, let's pray before we get into the word. And Father, I just want to briefly ask you to let my voice come through so that everyone can hear your voice uh, as we get into your word today. And uh, may we all just give thanks to you, God, um, in all circumstances, because that is your will for us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So please bless this time now. In Christ's name, amen. Well, Thanksgiving Day is approaching, as we all know, and we're all hopefully excited about and, and uh, expressing gratitude to God in various ways. Um, sometimes in our family traditions, before we eat or after we eat or while we're eating, we like to go around the table and have uh, each one of us uh, tell one thing that we're thankful, thankful to God for. And uh, just to share that, we did that during our harvest dinner, and um, it was just a very, very good time to um, express that gratitude towards God, uh, because it's not always easy to to give thanks. And when we verbally do it and confess that before one another, um, it's just uh, it's a good it's a good practice, it's a good exercise. Um, and uh, while we gave thanks during the harvest dinner, uh, some of our beloved Faith Bible Church members, um, there was always that element of we thank God for, for Christ first, or for the gospel first, for our salvation first, right? Um, that's where it all begins. Without, without Christ, uh, we have nothing. We can do nothing, and we are headed towards judgment. But with Christ and in Christ, we have everything, even forgiveness, even eternal life. So... With that uh, Thanksgiving coming so soon, I, I, I do just want to focus in on that today. And um, I want us to give thanks for our salvation, but a particular aspect of that salvation, which is our justification. And so uh, if we turn to Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, And in my desperation uh, the past couple of days, I have to admit, I had the idea of just reading Romans 1 through 11 <laughs> for the sermon today and then telling you guys to read chapters 12 to 16 because that's all the application. But um, we, uh, we, we decided on Romans 5, uh, the first few verses here, and uh, we'll see how far we'll get. But um, as I like to do sometimes, last week I think I gave you the... Uh, you know, just a broad outline of the book of Revelation, right? For me, it's helpful to understand what's in the Bible when I have these, like, sketches in my mind of what's, what's in the book. And so Romans, uh, you know, we should understand that the first three chapters are all about condemnation. Okay? Everyone, all the world is guilty. Jew, Gentile, man, woman, slave, free. Everyone is guilty, condemned. Condemnation, chapter 1 through 3. But chapters 4 and 5 is about justification, Justification. How can these condemned sinners be right before God? Chapters 4 and 5 of Romans is about justification. And then 6 through 8 is sanctification. Okay, Paul starts to describe what the Christian life is like, what it is to be set apart from our sin and set apart unto God for holiness. He spends three chapters on that. And we all love how chapter 8 ends, right? What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And so verses, uh, chapters 9 and 10 um, is about election. 
Okay, and that's a very worthy study. Paul is very, very clear uh, about the doctrine of election. And uh, it's part of these wonderful just uh, uh, doctrines of, of grace and, and the systematic theology he's teaching in the book of Romans. And then, then chapter 11 is about Israel. Okay, that precious chapter which I touched on just a little bit last, last uh, Sunday. And then, like I said, chapters 12 through 16, the rest of the book is commands. It's application. Okay? So we have condemnation. We have justification. We have sanctification. We have election. We have Israel. And then we have application. And that's kind of the broad outline of the book of Romans. Right? But so just think of that. Next time you just hear a verse quoted or whatever, you can just place it in your mind. Like, what's, what's the broad sketch there? Obviously, there are many details um, and more specifics, but that's just an outline for you. So, Romans chapter 5. Um, if, if you're able to stand, I'm going to read the first five verses. I'm going to try to get through these five verses this morning. This is giving thanks for our justification. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope for the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character and proven character, hope and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Please be seated. Well, Paul starts off by saying, therefore, having been justified by faith, having been justified by faith, therefore, he's following up once again in chapter 4. He's already talked about justification. He gives the example of Abraham, how God credited to him righteousness. It was a foreign righteousness that was credited to Abraham. He says it over and over and over in chapter 4. And then he gets to chapter 5. And he says, therefore, having been justified. He's talking about the Roman believers. He's talking about us, Christians, those of us who have been saved. So it's helpful maybe, before we get into some of the things that we should be thankful for, about our justification, to know what justification means, right? So... Uh, justified, some of you know, it means to be declared righteous. To be declared righteous. It's the act of declaring someone not guilty. It means to pronounce and treat as righteous. Okay? Um, being justified is not a process. It's not a, a process that happens over a long period of time. No, some people teach that, but that's not it. Um, Everywhere in the Bible, and the tense here in the Greek, it says that it's a one-time event in the past when these Roman believers, they were at, at once, at one moment, declared not guilty. They were declared righteous in God's courtroom. And so, justification is something that happened and was completed 
the moment any believer was saved. And you notice the passive voice there, having been justified, right? In other words, sinners do not justify themselves, okay? We cannot declare ourselves righteous before a holy God. We can't do it. The passive voice shows that this declaration, this pronouncement, came from an outside source. And of course, that outside source is none other than God himself. It's his courtroom. He's the judge. And he's the one who pronounces. But it says, having been justified by faith. Our text this morning says that if you will trust in Jesus, God the judge will let Jesus' punishment and Jesus' righteousness count as yours. Hey, that is the heart of the gospel. When God justifies you, when he pronounces you innocent, and declared righteous. He does it because of Jesus. And as you put your faith in Christ and you turn from your sin and confess him as your Lord and Savior personally, he pronounces you righteous on the spot. He does it because of Jesus. Jesus is your righteousness and he is the substitute for your punishment. Trusting Jesus makes him so much your Lord and Savior that he is your perfect goodness and substitute and righteousness. That is the good news of the gospel, folks. After three chapters of condemnation, right? Paul doesn't leave it at the bad news. He brings the good news, and that's what it is. And so it's justified by faith. This is what Martin Luther and the Reformers um, started the, the Protestant Reformation for, right? This was one of the primary doctrines that the church over that 1,500 years, had somehow deformed. But Martin Luther and John Calvin and John Knox and Zwingli and all those guys, they they brought back this, this doctrine of justification by faith. Not faith plus works, not faith plus the church, not faith plus mass, not faith plus baptism. No, it's it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so we celebrate that. Um, even to this day as we continue to reform and continue to refine our doctrine. But listen to what Wayne Grudem says about what faith is, all right? It's very, very important. Saving faith is trust in Jesus Christ as a living person for forgiveness of sins and for eternal life with God. And that seems very basic, right? I think we all know that. But... He goes on. He says, This definition emphasizes personal trust in Christ, not just belief in facts about Christ. Because saving faith in Scripture involves this personal trust, the word trust may be a better word to use in contemporary culture than the word faith or belief. The reason is is that we can believe something to be true with no personal commitment or dependence involved in it. End quote. Hey, do you understand that? Um, believing something about someone or believing a bunch of facts or saying you agree with this versus actual personal commitment and trust. Believing in Jesus Christ. He says, believe unto me. Believe in me. Trust in me. Don't just believe a bunch of stuff about me. Believe who I am and what I've done and believe in me personally as your Savior. 
as the one who loves you and knows you. He says, believe everything about me and I will save you. So to believe in Jesus means that you entrust your eternal destiny and your right standing before God, not to anything in yourself, not to your own goodness, not to your church attendance, not to your family, not to your life compared to someone else's, not even the strength of your faith. That's not what saves you. It's the strength of the object of your faith that saves you. That's Jesus himself. Entirely to Jesus and his death on the cross for your sins. You believe that he paid the debt to God that you owe. So your faith rests completely upon the person and work of Christ. And so what happens when you do that? You become spiritually alive. You become a new creature. The old is gone. The new has come. You're no longer dead. You've been given life, eternal life, which starts the moment you repent and believe. And so... Having been justified by faith, I want to try to give to you this morning three amazing blessings that we can be thankful for. Okay? Three amazing blessings of our justification that we can be thankful to God for. And the first is this. The second part of verse 1 says, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Very simple, right? We have peace with God. That's the first amazing blessing or result or benefit of being justified. We have peace with God. What does that mean? Well, it means we're no longer at war with him. Hey, we used to be. We used to be as unbelievers. We used to be hostile towards God. The Bible says that due to our sin, all sinners are enemies of God. We're at odds with him. There's separation and hostility. It's like a a man who lives in a kingdom who's not satisfied with the king or he doesn't want to abide by the rules of the king. And so he rebels and fights against the king, spending all his time and energy on how to overthrow him. Right? That's what happens in the unbeliever's heart. It's it's fighting for, for who's going to reign in that person's heart and life. But believers are no longer in this fight, in this war against God. I don't know if some of you can remember back, back then when you were unbelievers, just this constant struggle, constant enmity, uh, constant rebellion with God himself. But as believers, there's no longer any barrier or separation that is between us and him. And this comes after we've been justified. So... We've been reconciled in a way that there's this forever peace with God, our Creator. Enmity is done away with. Separation and strife has been alleviated, been justified by the blood of the Lamb. It says through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, it's only through Jesus relating with Him as our personal Lord that believers can have peace with God. So, someone brought up that the, the war was not only on one side, and this might be a bit of a controversial statement, 
but um, there's a sense in which God himself is hostile towards sinners. Okay? Um, Psalm 7, verse 11. It's, it's something I, I can't forget because, you know, I drive most days and you pass a 7-Eleven every day, right? Uh, almost. Uh, a few 7-Elevens. So I think of that verse. and It says God has indignation every day against the wicked. Every day. And so um, there's a sense in which, a real sense in which God has anger against not only sin, but sinners. But we, as believers, justified, we are secure because we are at peace with God. His anger is satisfied. His wrath is satisfied in the death of his son. And so, folks, somehow or another, that does go together with verses 6 through 8 of this chapter, right? Which we all know we're not going to do it today, but God, um, while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, right? Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So in some sense, holy, holy, holy God can have a righteous indignation and fury and wrath against sinners and yet love them so much that he sends his son to rescue them. Amazing. So, as those who are justified, we can be called friends of God now. We're allies with God. He's put us on the same team, right? And as Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Christ. Okay, so I want to give a, just a brief um, Implication or application before we get to the next point. Since we have peace with God, we can now begin to have reconciliation in our relationships with others in our lives. Okay, Thanksgiving holidays are notoriously difficult um, sometimes uh, to be together for families. Why? Because of so many broken relationships, Right? So many hard, broken, struggling relationships. But Jesus is the Prince of Peace. We as believers, having peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ means we learn how to have true love for others. And so we, we can begin to work towards reconciling relationships. At the very least, at the very least, folks, we do our part. We do our part to love as Christ loved us. We do our part to be at peace with all men. We do our part to, to suffer for the sake of others, to sacrifice for the sake of others, so that they can know the peace of Christ. And God gives us wisdom and strength and growth and patience to do that. Okay, so I'm going to encourage you this Thanksgiving time with that. So uh, our next amazing blessing of justification is in uh, verse 2. It says, Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Believers have access to God's grace. We have access to God's grace. And um, it says, Have obtained our introduction. I I like the, the King James Version. It says, We have access. We have access by faith in this grace. And so the access is to God's grace. And 
as believers, as justified believers, we have a permanent standing um, in the riches of God's grace. Hey, Paul, Paul puts it like uh, it's like a, a realm in which we can, we can stand firm. It's a position of, of undeserved merit and blessing that it's not going to be pulled out from under us. Hey, no one's going to pull out the rug from under us or, or you know, remove the chairs we're about to sit. By his grace, we stand in this position of ongoing grace. We, we entered by grace, right? And now we have ongoing standing in that same realm. In Ephesians 2.7, Paul says there, In the ages to come, God will show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And then Ephesians 3.8, it describes it as the unfathomable riches of Christ. It's going to take eternity for God to, to show us all the, the treasures uh, of, of his surpassing grace in heaven, um, loaded with all the blessings that come to us as those who have been justified. It's like we've been given an unlimited blank checks, like after one after the other, right? N- never ending. Stack a mountain high. Um, just Warren Buffett, right? Billionaire. You think about him just giving out free, free blank checks. Use it anytime you have need. That's a picture, maybe a crass picture, but a picture of God's grace. I like uh, that acronym. Uh, someone said God's grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. And we have those not just at our salvation, but into eternity, forever. God's riches at Christ's expense. So when you trust in Christ, he becomes your way of access into this, this amazing grace. And, and now you relate to him as your gracious, loving Father in heaven. So um, let me just say that when we say access to, to God's grace, essentially we're talking about access to God himself, right? Uh, grace is not something that's apart from God, but is God giving himself to us in his graciousness. So uh, a quick application before we get to the next last point as well. As believers who are so thankful to God for standing in the realm of his grace with free access to it at all times, I think we must work hard to show that same grace to all people. We must show grace to all people, people close to us, people who are far, far, far from God, people within our church family, people within our own families, people who we're going to meet up with maybe during Thanksgiving time. And we need to work very, very hard to, to show and exude and extend grace to them. And when I say that, I mean especially when they don't deserve it, Right? People are going to sin against you. People are going to offend you. And um, that's the very definition of grace, though, isn't it? Like showing kindness to someone when they've done something that, that is not worthy of that kindness. And this is what we've received in lavish abundance in Christ. So last point. We have peace with God, fellow believers. We have access to God's grace. 
the third blessing of our justification. Believers have reason for joy and hope in God. We have reason for joy and hope in God. And the second part of verse 2, it says we exult and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And verse 3 says, and we also exult in our tribulations. So, um, you know, two, two points to this one is that uh, we, have, we have joy in future glory. Okay, that's the first part, right? We exult in hope of the glory of God. And then we have joy in present trials. And we have reason for that joy and that hope. Okay, so the first thing is joy in future glory. So let's, let's, let's get clear in our, our, our minds this morning, dear Faith Bible Church. Exult. I love that word. But oftentimes it gets confused with the word exalt, right? One little letter makes a big difference. And so to exalt means to, to lift up, right? To, to raise up, um, to exalt, to, to esteem. But to exalt, E-X-U-L-T, which is our word, it means to, to take joy in, to rejoice in, to, 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 to delight in, even to boast in, to exalt so we rejoice, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so what a contrast, what a contrast with Romans 3.23. You remember chapter 3, right? It's still in that condemnation. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But our verse today in Romans 5 in the justification section says we exult in hope of the glory of God. Believers have hope and rejoice in the glory of God. This is the hope of fulfilling God's glory. It's the hope of fulfilling God's glory. Instead of falling short as unjustified sinners, we've all fallen short. Way, way short. But as believers, as justified, justified sinners, we have the hope of fulfilling the glory of God. This true certainty of future being and bringing glory to God. And so we're not doing that all the way yet, right? I don't, as a Christian, I don't glorify God every single moment of my life, even though I want to. But that's Romans 7, right? Just uh, part of sanctification, but um, but this is future hope. So, um, Pastor Stephen Cole says this means in part that believers eagerly look forward to seeing the glory of God. So, what is it to exult in hope of God's glory? God's glory is the radiant splendor of His being. It is the visible manifestation of all His perfect attributes. It's what Moses asked to see, but God told him that he would show him his back because no man could see God's face and live. But in heaven, we will see God's glory in full, and it will be the most beautiful, stupendous sight that we've ever seen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do you exult in the hope of the glory of God? 
Pastor Bill tells me periodically that he just like he just can't wait to get there. If Lord took him right now, he'd be you know. Um, actually, this is not for public, but um, <laughs> I, but all of us as believers, we we have that sense, right? We want to just be with the Lord and see His glory and be with Him and be able to worship and love Him with with unadulterated, just complete passion and zeal and fervor and everything. But um, what, what a day, what a promise, what a hope, what a blessing. And um, let me just uh, quote John Piper here. He adds helpfully, Listen, God's glory speaks of a manifestation of God's true nature, presence, or likeness. He is glorified when he is allowed to be seen as he really is. To be where God is will be glory. To be what God intended will be glory. To do what God purposed will be glory. In short, Paul describes that glorious state which God himself possesses and into which he will admit the faithful, end quote. So that's what we're, we're headed towards. We're headed towards this future glory. It's certain. It's a guarantee. What an incredible blessing that flows from being justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we have much to exult in this Thanksgiving time. And so verse 3, the second part of this last point, he says, And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Not only this. Right? It's like those old uh, Ginsu Knives commercials, right? It's, that's not all. There's more. Not only this, Paul says. There's something even more to exult over. Not just the hope of future glory, but also in our present tribulations. And uh, it's interesting that future glory does mean full perfection, right? That's where our sanctification truly finds its end in glorification. That's sinlessness, pain free, trouble free. Temptation-free, it's something to anticipate and long for. Yet Paul says right after that, not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Hey, flipsis, flipsis, that's the, the Greek word, present trials. That word flipsis, it has the idea of being squeezed, hey, or placed under pressure, like being crushed under a heavy, heavy weight. It's like the pressing together as of grapes. Another example is um, just according to the ancient law of England. Those who willfully refused to plead guilty before the court, they had heavy, heavy weights placed on their chest and were pressed and crushed to to death. This was literally flipsis. So this is quite a strong term. It's not... Not referring to minor inconveniences, but to real hardships. And it's not talking about catching the flu or your whole family being sick or breaking an ankle or something like that. It's talking about great, great difficulty. So I just want to note a few things about this exulting in trials, rejoicing in trials. It does not mean denying that there's any pain or sorrow in life. Okay? 
The Bible does not tell us to deny reality when hard things happen, when difficult, sad things happen to us, and pretend that we're just praising the Lord and put on a happy face, even though we're hurting inside. Later in this very book of Romans, the application section, chapter 12, what does Paul say? Weep with those who weep. So when people are hurting and in pain, we're to weep with them. We're to feel their sorrows with them, walk along with them. Paul acknowledges that tension there. He describes himself in 2 Corinthians 6.10 as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Paul knew pain. He was well acquainted with persecution and beatings and hardship and suffering. In 2 Corinthians 7, he says, I'm filled with comfort. I'm overflowing with joy in all our affliction. He says, we were afflicted on every side. Conflicts without, fears within. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us. That's 2 Corinthians 7, 4 through 6. So through Paul's trials, his emotions many times seemed like they were all over the place. But he had God's comfort for strength. What was holding him up underneath all of it was his genuine faith and joy in Christ. So to be clear, there's nothing wrong with feeling pain or grief or sorrow in the midst of difficult trials. It's no use to deny those feelings just to to try to look more spiritual. But through our sadness and tears and pain, we must be sustained by our hope in God and his promises. We know God is the sovereign one who has control over all things. After all, he justified us. He reconciled us. And it's by the blood of his son, he graced us with eternal life. And he continues to care for us. So, Paul shows next how it's possible to rejoice in our trials as a Christian. Okay, And so, this is possible church family, when we know that God is using the trials to shape our character, right? In verse 3, he says, We exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and proven character and hope. And so, the key word there, it starts off with knowing. Knowing, that's full awareness. It's being mindful and keeping God's truth and God's facts in mind. In order for us to be able to rejoice in tribulations, our mental focus needs to include that vital knowledge that God is using the trials to shape our character. So look at the links in the chain here. Remember that tribulation, it brings about perseverance. What is that? Endurance, steadfastness, even patience. It's the ability to endure under severe trials. It's bearing up under a heavy load. It doesn't allow one to surrender to circumstance or succumb under trial. And it even has in it a forward look. A forward look, the ability to focus on 
beyond what is the current pressure. And um, Hebrews 12, too, about Jesus, right? It says, Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. And so we don't develop perseverance unless we have trials. We don't have to endure when everything is going our way. It's not difficult to trust the Lord when you're experiencing nothing but blessings, right? But the question is, will we endure by faith when life is hard? Will you trust God and submit to his sovereign care when you lose something, your job, going through a hard time in your marriage, or you're diagnosed with a serious disease? And this is one of the blessings that um, our brother Patrick shared, just uh, his his being refined through this time of, of trial, going through cancer. So praise God for growing us in perseverance. And he says that perseverance produces proven character. Okay, that word is a single word in the Greek, proven character, and it means something that has passed the test. Something that has passed the test. You've been approved when you go through a trial trusting in God, your faith becomes proven. It's tested and passed. You know by experience that you can lean on His faithfulness. It proves that you're not just a for-show Christian or a flash-in-the-pan Christian. You're not the seed on the shallow soil which fades quickly under the heat of trials, which is not really a Christian at all. Persevering works proven character. And then Paul says, lastly, that proven character produces hope. And that brings us back full circle, right? Um, verse 2, which says we exult in the hope of the glory of God, right? It, it's the same hope, and, and yet now it's that much stronger for having gone through these tribulations. I like what Martin Lloyd-Jones said. He said, quote, the initial hope of the believer comes from understanding the blessing of being justified by faith. We begin the Christian life full of faith and hope, and then we get hit by difficult trials. We cling to God like we've never had to cling before. We prove His faithfulness, and He develops proven character in us as we endure. And we come out the other side more certain of the hope of eternal glory with Him than we were before the trials. Our hope is stronger because it has been tempered in the flames of affliction. End quote. And so, to conclude here, verse 5 says, This hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So, um, there very well could have been four points to the message today, but we truncated it for, for today. But um, he says there, this hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. And so um, Paul gives the reason that hope doesn't disappoint. Because of this overflowing, abundant, lavish love 
that God has shed abroad in our hearts. And he has given us the Holy Spirit. Okay? Not an it, a he, a third person of the Trinity, to live in us, to dwell in us, to keep shedding that love of God in us. To, to, to constantly continue. It's like a, it's like a great big river in, this, in the, the South Americas overflowing into a, a great big waterfall. Let's say the, the Amazon River, whatever, right? Niagara Falls. Just imagine that. That's the, the love that's being poured out upon us over and over and over again as justified believers in Christ. And what great reason for this hope to never disappoint. It's not going to disappoint because the, the love of God in Christ by, through the Holy Spirit comes to us over and over again. And this is what's happening to us on a daily basis, dear Faith Bible Church family. And those of us who are in Christ are experiencing God's love. And what assurance and comfort there is in that lavish abundance. So, we made it through these three amazing blessings of our justification. I hope it was clear. I hope it was encouraging. And I hope you have particular reasons, not just theological, soteriological reasons, but heart, blood, soul reasons to give thanks to God this Thanksgiving. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word once again and for giving us, uh, wow, these are just three of the, of the amazing benefits and blessings of our standing before you as those who have been declared righteous by you. Thank you that it's because, only because of Christ's sacrifice and his death and resurrection that we can be free, we can be pronounced not only not, in, uh, not guilty, but we can be declared righteous before you and stand before you in your presence, blameless, with exceeding joy, because you are the one who has done it. We thank you, God, and praise you for these things. In Christ's name, amen.